Well, I want to do a small survey today then. Please help me. If you were going to be handed your favorite snack, your favorite treat, would it be salty or sweet? Who would say salty? Oh, are you serious? Who would say sweet? Of course. Who would say it would be both? Oh, yeah, at the same time. I mean, it's a shock to me to think that people would actually pass up a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, you know, or a quart, um, for a bag of Fritos. Uh, but, you know, people like that exist. So, um, I, I'm asking this because we're headed into a new summer series, and it's in the Psalm, Psalm 119. So I want you to turn there in your Bible, or in the Bible right there in the pew in front of you. And the author, I'm sure, is in the sweet group, and I'm going to show you uh, why I think that. We, every summer we've studied some of the Psalms because they're like a, a diary, they're like a prayer book. Uh, they, they take us, you know, in a personal way to the Lord. And Psalm 119 is the granddaddy of them all. It's the longest Psalm in the whole book of Psalms. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And almost every verse has some reference in it to delighting in the Word of God, to finding great delight in God's Word and in God. And if you're looking at Psalm 119 in your Bible, you can see that it, there are subdivisions. It's divided, and, and you might not know it, but it's the Hebrew alphabet. And so they have 22 letters, and it's divided into 22 sections. And uh, you can't pick this up in the English text, but in Hebrew, all of the... Uh, in the first little section, there's eight lines, and every line starts with the same letter. And then you move to the next letter and the next, and all each section is eight verses long, or eight lines long, and each line starts with the same letter on all the way through for 22 sections. And uh, so basically you get the idea, because he keeps telling the same truths over and over and over in different ways, that he, just about everything that could be said about God's Word has been repeated at least eight times. So kind of the theme verse that we've chose to follow on this, and I've appreciated all the work that's gone into all the little graphics that are around the pictures. Do you like those? Psalm 109, verse 3. Read it with me. How sweet are your words. Are you ready? Let's start again. Ready? Go. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So obviously the psalm writers in the sweet group. And uh, in their day, they didn't know anything sweeter than honey. So I went looking in the Bible for where does honey show up, and it first shows up in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, all the way back at the beginning, Jacob is telling his sons they're going to go, they're looking for food, it's a time of famine, and so they've heard there's food in Egypt, and they have been there once, and they need more food, and so they're going to go back to buy more food to keep them from starving, and the overlord in Egypt was suspicious of them, so Jacob tells his sons, look, it takes some gifts to take along, it's not like we're completely out of everything, take some balm, and take some honey, and some gum, and some myrrh, some pistachio nuts and some almonds. Well, later in the story, when God's people are trying to get free from slavery in Egypt, they're motivated to leave Egypt and to risk going across the wilderness to go to the promised land because it's supposed to be, quote, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then there's an account of a mighty warrior, Jonathan, and uh, he is faint with hunger, but he's revived uh, by eating honey that he has found on the ground in the forest. Presumably one of the trees was was leaking honey. And see, honey, of course, is collected from flowers. One little bee mouthful of nectar at a time. And the bees are meticulous to retract the honey nectar from each blossom and return with it to their beehive and to store it for the winter or for food for their baby bees. Well, I first got uh, enlightened some about bees. One of my professors in college 
was going to play tennis with me one day and then he said abruptly, I can't play today, I have to go bee hunting. I didn't know if bee hunting and snipe hunting were similar kinds of things. You know, if it was a code word for something, bee hunting. So I said, well, I'll go with you. He says, okay, here's the address. Meet me there as quickly as you can. So I went to this neighborhood. It was springtime, and there was a huge clump of bees hanging on a tree. Anybody ever seen one of those where they're just hanging on to each other? This thing was about two feet long. And he explained, now, the hive must have got two full, so they made a second queen bee. Then they all loaded up on honey. And this group has gone looking for a new place to live with the new queen bee. So since they're so full with honey, they're, even though they sound dangerous and they're swarming all over, he said, just stand still and none of them will bother you. They're so full they can't even bend in half to sting. So you're not at risk. So now, yeah, right. I'm going to buy that one, but I'll at least stand still and watch. And then he said, now here's, they are looking for a home that's dry and dark and um, safe. And if the, wherever the queen bee goes, all those other bees are going to follow her. He said, I'm going to take a cardboard box. I'm going to hit the branch. The whole clump will fall into my box. And if the queen stays in the box, then they will all go into the box. So I'm standing there. He hits the branch. They, oh, the huge clump falls into the box, puts it in the trunk of his car, leaves the trunk open. And within five minutes, all the bees had swarmed down into the trunk. Closed the trunk and drove home, poured it out into a hive and uh, started them working. And so I got to see the picture of how the bees um, went about getting started. And, you know, bees are a great role model for us because they serve from morning until night. They're working, working, working to find and to collect and to store and to protect uh, that little gift of nectar that they've gotten from each blossom. And in each hive, there is one queen bee only. Queen Bee actually has a stinger, but hers doesn't have any uh, little hooks on it, so when she, she can sting over and over and over and not lose her life. And then there are the drones. Those are the males. And they, I'm sorry, men, they really aren't good for very much. Uh, they, um, they take a, a mating flight with the queen initially, and then um, they eat. That's about it. They don't even have a stinger. So they can't even protect themselves. And then all the other thousands of bees are female workers, all who live for about six weeks in the summer was they're working, 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 dedicating their entire life to collecting one little treasure after another and sharing it with their beehive. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I think this is a great picture for us. Because we're the ones who collect God's word, God's truth, God's treasure, one little bit at a time. And we enjoy its sweetness, but we also share it with others. And it has the same kind of sustaining, life-sustaining quality uh, that the honey has with the bees. Now, we don't know the author from Psalm 119. Didn't put their name on their work. But with 150 Psalms, 73 of them have David's name on it. And he's the David who became the king of Israel. So this one might have been written by David. In fact, I think it probably was. I'll show you in a little while. We don't know when it was written either. Probably doesn't matter because the guy who is writing it is feeling huge pressure from the enemies around him, from the world, kind of feeling like everybody's ganging up on him from all sides. But he hopes in the Lord. So he turns to God's word for insight and encouragement and strength. So it could have been written thousands of years ago, or it could have been written last week, or it could have written maybe been by you. You know, if you know the secret that God's Word is not just another book. It's not just some interesting ancient text. It's not just a historical record. This is the living Word of God, and it gives us God's insights, God's thoughts, 
God's guidance, God's correction, God's encouragement. And if you're new to studying the Bible, well, there's two major sections. In fact, you can find it in the Bible you're in. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is about two-thirds of it. And the New Testament is the other half. And each of those. And the Old Testament is all about the work of God that leads up to the hero of the story. So there's a section called the Beginnings, which is uh, the, called the Books of Moses, the, the Pentateuch, and uh, then there's a section of history that talks about the people and the conquest of the promised land and living under the judges and under the rules of kings. And then there's a section called the wisdom literature, and that's where the Psalms come from. It's thoughts or sayings, um, insights that people have had of, about God and about how to live in this world, and uh, answers questions about our human experience and the inner spiritual life and, and so forth. And then there's a section that's written by different prophets or preachers and uh, called the major prophets and the minor prophets and the only difference is the length of their book that the major prophets uh, have longer books that they wrote and left behind all of that leads up to the hero of the story who is Jesus and uh, he's God and he comes uh, in human flesh to live in this world and so the first four books in the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are biographies of his life that the people who collected all of the, the, the uh, accounts from the eyewitnesses and uh, put them into a story of his life so that we can understand about Jesus then there's one little book of history called the Acts of the Apostles that the followers of Jesus this scared little group of 11 men hiding near Jerusalem, suddenly are powered by God's Spirit and they become bold and they tell the story of Jesus and they move out from Jerusalem mostly because of persecution, but they're caring for people and meeting human needs and uh, uh, declaring the word of the Lord and planting churches and they grew to cover the entire world in a period of 30 years. Then there's a whole section of letters that are written to individuals or churches because where you have people, sooner or later you'll have problems. And so these are letters uh, that went to churches and people helping to say, based on Jesus Christ, here's how you'd go about solving those problems. So it gives us precedence. So the Bible is worth your time to read it. It's a treasure. It's not all on the surface. In fact, the Bible says about itself, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we don't know the author, and we don't know when it was written, and we could guess why it's written. I'm going to read one of the portions of it, one of the subdivisions. This one is called Wow. It's spelled Y-A-W. It's the Hebrew letter. It's not like we would think, you know, wow, but I mean, it could have been. And uh, look what he says. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Now, 
this psalm writer, if you read the whole psalm, you would see he is oppressed on all sides. He feels surrounded by evil. He appears people around him who are arrogant and proud and they're pursuing him. And he has wicked and godless neighbors who are taunting him. And he has felt his share of sorrow and disgrace in his life. And yet the psalmist has found that God is his only true love. It's the only one where he can place his hope and he calls out to God and he hangs on to the hope that he has in God and he knows of God by reading God, uh, God's word and by praying and by letting God's spirit speak to him. And he's making the point that the instruction from God contains everything a person would need to know. And so the psalm writer is trying to say everything he can say about the, wonder, about the wonderful word from God. It's a personal word. It's repetitious. It's repetitious. You could say that again. <laughs> he's making the point about how important the Word of God is. And he's also drawing closer to God by repeating how wonderful God's Word is. Now, we do that, don't we? We make the same point over and over and over. We do that in our singing when we're together in worship. Regardless whether it's a traditional style or contemporary style, the songs repeat themselves. And we say a lot of the same things over and over. I love you is a lot of it, isn't it? Saying to God, I love you. And, uh, you know, we never get here tired of hearing that from our beloved. In fact, if, you know, if you forgot this morning and maybe, you, you know, you, you didn't think of that, why don't you try it right now? Turn to somebody that you're with and just say, I love you. Now, that works pretty well, especially if you're talking to somebody you know. Okay, and most of you were. And it's not a surprise uh, to Cindy when I say I love you to her. I try to say it at least every day uh, in the morning and evening and for other reasons in between. And I mean, other than Jesus, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And so I, I try to say that to her often. But a few years ago, there was a man here at church named Dale. And he called me and he said, you know, my wife, Janie, is, is dying, and Janie, and... So would you come and pray for her? Because she hasn't spoken or opened her eyes for two days. And so I went down to their house and he took me into the master bedroom. She's lying right up the middle of a king-size bed. And so there's a lot of room on both sides. And he and I stood there quietly in the room and she never opened her eyes. In fact, I couldn't tell she was breathing. I honestly thought she was dead. And so I had died. And so I sat down on the edge of the bed and I leaned in close. My face was about a foot from hers. I'm trying to see if she's breathing. And suddenly she opens her eyes, which are bright blue, which was a shock. And she goes, I love you. And we're only about this far apart, you know. And, and, and it, was, it was kind of a shock. I had never heard her say that before. And I was shocked. Well, let me ask you. When God hears you express your love to him, is that a shock? Because he just doesn't hear that from you very often. You know, he would say, you know, I told God I loved him once. If I change my mind, I'll let him know. You know, versus having a love relationship that says, I'm going I'm to share my love and my delight in the Lord every day. The psalm writer wants to be sure that God knows, God, I am hopelessly in love with you. And he finds a way after way after way to say that. He finds 176 different ways. In fact, let's, let's look at the first verse. We're going to see that God's word shows us a clear path. And I want to start with the first verse. There's 176, but uh, we'll just start with the first one. He says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord is this instruction that God gives us in his word. 
There are synonyms for the law of the Lord found almost in every verse. There's only two or three verses where you can't find it. There's eight or ten words that get used for this over and over and over. Whether he calls it the law of the Lord or precepts or testimonies or statutes or commandments or ordinances or word or a promise or a way. They all point us to the same thing. God's law. God's word. God's work and God's way. I mean, here's the thing. God is at work in this world. Not just back thousands and thousands of years ago. Right now, God is present in this world and he's working. And God is inviting us to join him in his work. And there are various dimensions to God's work. First, there's a part of God's work that only God can do. Only God can save the world. Only God does miracles. Only God could send his only son, Jesus, to purchase our freedom. Here's the good news. The work that only God can do, God has already done what is needed to reconcile the world back to himself. He has already offered and he's paid the price so that people can have a relationship with him. He is ready and waiting and eager to be in a relationship with you and you with him. So then there's also a part of God's work where we team up with God. We walk in the law of the Lord. We partner together with God when we respond to his word and to his love. And we choose to use our lives to fulfill God's plan for us in this world. When we choose to live righteous lives and to share God's love with people who need to know about the Lord, who don't know about him. And we become that salt and that light in this world. See, God's work is a cooperation between God and man. And God has done his part. Now let's finish ours. And that's what we're about. So in this psalm, there are several themes that are all woven together. Nobody had thought of this phrase back when the author wrote this, or they would have called him ADD, because he doesn't stay just on one topic. He jumps from one to the other, and then back, and then forth, and back, and he kind of mixes those all together, and uh, just kind of comments on this topic and on that topic. But there are about four major themes that I want us to get to look at, and the first one today is freedom. Freedom comes to those who hear God's word and walk in the law of the Lord. Freedom comes to those who hear God's word and then walk in the law of the Lord. Those are the ones that will be blameless. In other words, God's word is the authority in the wise person's life, in the godly person's life. It's not just an interesting read. It's not just good advice. People who are going to live by the law of the Lord take God's word as the authority for what they believe and for how they live. And this is currently well out of style in our world today but someday you are going to stand and every person born is going to stand before God all by themselves before God and the word of God is going to be the standard by which your life is measured so that's why we take it seriously we're getting ready for that moment when God says did you live by my law then your life is blameless because you did the right thing And so rather than change God's word when it's inconvenient or in conflict with the culture around us or we just don't like what it says, the serious student of God's word changes their behavior to align with God's word. See, when we think of freedom, we often think of doing whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, with no accountability to anybody and no consequences afterwards. And such freedom does not exist. And it isn't really freedom. See, you're not free from the law of gravity, even if you don't like gravity. 
If you were to jump off of a tall building, even if you love the Lord, there would be consequences. And a fish could never be free from the water, not for very long, and live. I mean, imagine a barracuda or a, a, a yellowfin tuna swimming up to the beach, flopping around on the sand and the gasping, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. For how long? Because God's designed fish to live in the water. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why would the psalmist, why would we need freedom? Because the truth is, we're enslaved. We're bound. We're trapped in one way or another. We always choose a master. Either the Lord or sin. Or this world somehow. And God's word shows us sin's landmine. So God is wanting us to live free from sin in our life. He's the only one who gives us the power to break the power of sin in our life. And if we were to compare notes in a room this size, you just know there's people who are overwhelmed with the pressure that they're under. There's people who are gripped by fear. As we saw in the little clip that we saw, are we afraid of what's in the future? There's people who are strangled by greed and they don't even know it. There's people who are chained by relational lies. There's people who believe some of the lies of the world. See, we live in a world that's trying to live free, trying to be free, and it's saying that wrong is right and right is wrong. Let me give you an example. The Bible talks about how God created male and female and he created man and woman for each other. And his intention is that they would commit to each other in the bonds of marriage, which is kind of an interesting word, isn't it? The bonds of marriage that you'd be inside the, the bonds or the boundaries. <clears throat> one man and one woman until death do us part. That in that faithfulness to each other and to God, there would be love and joy and peace, that their children would be fostered and nurtured and valued and that the family would grow strong and true. Does our world or its agenda look anything like that today? That's not the value that's being lifted up by the world. Are they free? <laughs> or are they a fish flopping around on the beach, claiming freedom when they're really trapped and doomed? See, what is your authority? Especially when you're diametrically opposed to, to somebody who is uh, dissenting with you. I mean, just in this one example, if you're to say, where is the authority? On one side, you have the pres current president of the United States and even the Supreme Court. And on the other hand, you have the Bible, God's word. And you have genuine believers. And you have to decide. You can't really ride the fence. God's word gives us the insight to know what's right and the strength to stand for the truth and someday you will answer to God himself for how, what you chose to believe and what you saw as your authority and how you chose to live. And freedom is to be found in the context of boundaries, that God places boundaries around us for our protection and for our good. Last time we visited Israel, we were up near the Sea of Galilee on our way to the Golan Heights. And there's a large portion of land there with a barbed wire fence around it. And the signs in several languages say, keep out. This area has been mined with explosives. Would I be free if I ignored the sign, climbed over the fence, and, and then went running through the field? I mean, what do you think would happen if I ignored those signs? Would the explosives ignore me? Of course not. So freedom is to be found in the, within the context of the boundaries, boundaries placed by God for our protection and for our good.
Verse 96 says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Verse 133 says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. God's word also points us to the truth. The only hope of truly being free for any of us lies in the hands of the Lord and in surrendering our own freedom in favor of keeping and accepting the boundaries that God places around us. And the psalmist submits himself to God's freedom. He prays his responses to God would be acceptable. Look what he says in verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I will be not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, anybody who's going to walk in God's ways will need to be intentional. It's an intentional walk. You have to be disciplined. You have to remain in God's word and in relationship with God. And that's what David did. Let me show you why I think David wrote this psalm. If you go back a hundred psalms to Psalm 19, it has David's name on it. Listen to this as part of Psalm 19. See if you don't think the same guy wrote this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." David's observations in Psalm 19 match the psalmist's thoughts in Psalm 119. He's talking about the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the rules, all the same synonyms for God's word. And he's also talking about God's word being as sweet or sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. How is God's word sweeter than honey? God's word gives us the truth. He gives us guidance of what to avoid and what to pursue. And freedom is living within those boundaries of our Creator and in relationship with God and with God's people and enjoying the people and tasting God's favor. And that's sweet. So make the commitments with me today to study God's Word and to delight in God's Word and to obey God's Word and to live inside the boundaries that God has provided to know His freedom and to celebrate His love. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, we thank You that You have given us Your Word that it places boundaries around us for our protection and for our good. We thank you that we can take this as your authority, speaking to us as individuals and as a church. Thank you. May we truly live in that sweet spot and enjoy you and your favor because we listen to your voice, we run to follow, and we know your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.